Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Good to see everyone. My name is Ken. I'm here to welcome everyone to Lighthouse Community Church. And as I do every week, it's, I just really think it's so important for you to take this connections card. They're in the seat back ahead of you. And uh, if there's space for prayer requests or any, time of, uh, any kind of uh, contact you want to make with leadership, as I've said, if you don't have a name tag or if you have questions, feel free to fill this out and put it in the box in the back on the way out uh, today. We have one, one slide, a luncheon coming up, and it's for young families, and that's going to happen on the, eight, uh, the 19th Sunday after the service, meeting across the street in the family room. Lunch will be provided, so I want to encourage everyone with, what is it, uh, grade schoolers or younger to come join everyone, join not me, but join everybody <laughs> else for Hello, lunch. Buddy. Good to see you. And I, last night, this is a true thing, I was going through my photographs, my old photographs, and this came up. It's Robin and Marge, and if I remember correctly, we had just finished a study in Genesis 17 where Abraham had been told that all males must be circumcised, and Marge said, that's a big job, and Robin said, I'm on it. So uh, anyway, I told you, don't invite me back. All right, well, let's, let's pray for me and the service real quick. Father, we just want to lift up this day to you. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth. We give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ken. Uh -huh. I wanted to read something this morning. It's from uh, Oswald Chambers. <clears throat> it's just his uh, little daily devotional things, and it's a wisdom thing he does at the end. And I'm reading this because, like I told the team, I woke up this morning. It was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it's 6 a.m. You know, so anyway, sometimes uh, just feel that way. So here's what Oswald says. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth. We all have faith in good principles, in good management, in good common sense, but who among us has faith in Jesus Christ? Physical courage is grand, moral courage is grander, but the man who trusts in Jesus Christ in the face of the terrific problems of life is worth a whole crowd of heroes. And that just really spoke to me this morning. I hope it uh, maybe speaks to you as well. And as soon as I get my power back on here, there we go. You guys ready to worship? All right.
doing good this morning? Everybody ready to worship here? Okay. We have some good ones for you this morning. I got to turn my volume down so I don't blow my ears out here. i 
is a song I know it well A melody That's never failed On mountains high In valleys low My soul will rest In a confidence In you alone Hope has a name his name is Jesus, my Savior's cross. Has set the sinner free, hope has a name. His name is Jesus, all Christ be praised, I have victory. this day let us be fall out of our drudgery and just let your spirit fall upon us father thank you so much in the name of jesus we we just love the revival things we're hearing around this country 
and we're just so thankful that we can be a family here in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer, I would be looking like I was organized for the first time in my life. Yeah, I know, yeah, that didn't happen. You're already over it, right? Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Good? You notice the uh, windows have all been taken, and uh, that's an exciting thing because we got a lot of quotes to get those fixed, and some of it was going to involve selling my kidneys to pay for that, and then they realized that my kidneys were no good. So I just kept getting bids and assumed that somewhere out there someday would be someone who could reasonably fix our beautiful broken windows, and wouldn't you know someone in the church and someone in the f- near the front of the building in this general vicinity called a friend who's a glass worker and said, not only will we do them, but I think he ended up doing them at like 8% of the last quote I got, 8% for, the, for all three of them. <laughs> me and, it was so motivational. I think me and Robin had like, is this aha Jesus moment number 123? And she's like, I think we're going to start journaling. I think people should realize what God is actually doing behind the scenes, you know. We lose Jeannie to Egypt, you know, it's a, just a scheduled regular trip for her and Charlie, and so we survive here without, we all live vicariously through Jeannie, so that's one way we go to Egypt as she sends us pictures, but this is a really interesting week, and on top of that, Bill is at home and recovering. Someone said, hey, give us a bill update. Bill's not only at home recovering, he's, he's trying to like speedboat things, you know, in, in typical Bill fashion, right? Okay, the doctor says three months, I can do it in like three weeks. And I guess he doesn't realize it's like a metal bracket that was attached to his spine with screws. And there's like holes in the front and holes in the back and like ports and clean up stuff and clean up on aisle six. I mean, I mean <laughs> Kathy's just like, okay, you know, I got I to got, watch this guy. I got to watch these kids and all that stuff. But you know, here's Bill. What do you got working at the church? I said, this care ministry thing. I just, I offered it to the church two weeks ago. Um, Michelle Tizon's already doing food. Um, Leslie's been doing grief, and now Angel's jumping in with her with grief. And then all of a sudden, I just realized, I got visitations that I can't keep up with. I put it out to the church, and one or two people sign up, then three or four people sign up, then five or six. I think when I gave Bill the list last week on Monday, there was 13 people. We haven't had 13 people sign up for a ministry <laughs> in a while, church. I'm just saying, it's, it's been a real long time. And so the excitement that God is doing around this place is excitement. Once again, me and Robin want to journal and and say, you know, this is all the stuff that God's doing. And on top of that, I, I'm kind of working the game plan where on Monday I come in and I read the message, and then Tuesday I actually come in and write the message. On Tuesday I get a text at like 9 in the morning from my good buddy D, who loves to send me random things. Him and Glenn are awesome. If you guys don't have them as your buddies, they'll send you random stuff all the time. You should get on their good buddy list, and they send you like little tidbits to think about for the morning. And it was like 9 o'clock, and, and D said, Hank, did you hear what's happening in Kentucky? I'm like, in Kentucky? I don't even know what's going on in Costa Mesa right now. I, I, I barely know what's going on on the other side of the building. I can hear Marge yelling. I have no idea. Something's going on here. Some, God's doing something. He's like, no, Kentucky. I'm like, wow, I'll get to that at noon. That's great for Kentucky, but right now I'm writing. So I get back to the message. It's Nehemiah 8. We're in Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12 today. And I start reading the message, and I realize this passage has three standalone aha moments, three standalone individual teaching seminars that you could just do full Sundays on just each one of them. But the the essence of chapter 8's message is the first revival in Israel. 
And I, and I was like, my buddy just sent me this thing on revival. Maybe I ought to get to it. So I, it's lunchtime, so I'm sliding over to my thing, and I go to hit the thing. All of a sudden, I have another buddy. He's a pastor at a church called Authentic. They meet in Vanguard. And Jeff likes to drive around on Tuesdays and just pray for Costa Mesa. That's his gig. I don't know why he does it. And he's like, recently, he always calls me when he's driving down Magnolia. And he's like, dude, something's happening in Kentucky. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get caught up to it right now as, as we speak. So just the fact that 9 o'clock in the morning, D sends it to me. I start reading at 10 o'clock in the morning, start putting it on paper. And by 12 o'clock, it's just a continuum. The rest of the week, almost once a day, somebody sent me something. So that by the end of the week, when Josh hits me up, and Josh is like, it's like Saturday, and Kentucky is not shut down. They're like in day eight, man. What is going on? And I'm like, revival. Can you believe revival is actually alive and well? In the, have you, has it been a while since you guys have heard revival? Do you believe this? Marcus, please tell me this clip worked. Church, it's not only real, but it's in its 11th day in Kentucky, and the, and the small little chapel that they started in has now inspired other schools to fire their chapels up. This is a legitimate happening of God. Total ethos of this is just natural, just no, no event, no special day. It's just happening, and God is moving in our country again, and praise God, it's not completely dead. Can you show this? <clears throat> An amazing move of God is underway at Kentucky's Asbury University. It is said to have begun at the campus chapel on Wednesday, February 8th, and is still going strong. According to Kentucky Today, the chapel's message was about confession and repentance. All right, Mike, an amazing move of God is underway at Kentucky's Asbury University. Like it is said more. to have begun at the campus chapel on Wednesday, February 8th, and is still going strong. According to Kentucky Today, the chapel's message was about confession and repentance. And as the service ended, a group of students stayed behind to worship. They were joined by more students and then more. It's crazy that we think this is so weird or different because up in heaven, this, this is normal. This is the God we serve. God is still saving people. He is healing people. And who are we to forget? We're just like the Israelites. We forget how good God is. And he's just made himself known in a special way. So I just wanted to thank you guys and give an update. Um, thank you for your prayers. And we just pray that revival keeps spreading. As news of the revival spread, people and students from around Kentucky descended on the campus in Gilmore, Kentucky. The report went on to say students in the room at the time could feel the presence of the Lord with University of Kentucky student Ananelli White quoted as saying, the Holy Spirit was tangible in the room, chains were broken, confession happened, and God was praised as holy, holy, holy. Wow. And thank you for coming today. And that's as good as it gets. Man, God is alive, man. That just, I'm the kind of pastor that gets really emotional about, about that kind of stuff because it's constantly people saying, don't we need revival? Don't we need, don't we need? I mean, we need what we need. And we, we need someone to start it. I hope Kentucky is the starting point. I hope that is. Because as I got in the car this morning, and I'm not feeling 100%, but I was just listening to the radio, and I'm just like, God, I need encouragement just to get through this 30 minutes of message it's Greg Laurie. And you know what Greg Laurie's talking about this morning? Revival in Costa Mesa. 
you guys realize we're not all connected. There's not this 1-800 senior pastors group where you just go on and plug in. And today, what are you guys doing? They, we have no idea what anyone's doing. No one gets to talk and no one gets to do any of that stuff. It's just, it's the natural movement of God's body. And I just think that before I even get to a message, regardless of how far I even get to the message today, you should be encouraged by that. You should be motivated again to realize that whatever COVID did, whatever the world has been through in the last three years, whatever dire situation you've been asked to persevere through, everything, just like with Israel, everything has been for a reason. And today you're going to find out part of that reason is an absolute restoration. So three things that I'm excited to share with you. First of all, the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Many of you heard of that? It's a top 10 phrase in the Bible. The joy of, that's in the passage today. So you're going to be able to get the context of understanding in the first revival how that played a role. And I think that will bring new meaning to your, you know, wherever you, Michaels, you buy these little things, you and Robin and all these, all these little fancy little phrases. When you see that phrase again, I want you to realize in context what that actually means. Additionally, what we're going to find out is uh, some people often ask me, why does the church teach expository preaching, right? There's all kinds of words you hear in a church, expository, exegetical, eisegetical, different phrases. Expository is what we teach. And the reason why we teach expository preaching is because that's what the Word of God teaches. And today, as Ezra gets ready to teach the people, he explains expository teaching. So this is a good thing for churches who want to teach a lot of different ways. It's like from the very beginning when Israel had to learn something, there was a way that they were taught and they responded to it amazingly. And third, I also want to explain what revival looks like, okay? There is an aspect of what revival looks like that's not man-made, and once it is a revival of the Spirit of God, you can't control it, okay? It doesn't need media blitzes. It doesn't need... Any, if it really is something happening at Ashbury, at that school, which is a famous school, right? Been used, been a lot of different things happen there. If God really is moving in those people, it won't stop, because this is what we need. This is who we are. And we're all kind of getting older to the point like, well, the sand is running out of the hands and it's doom and gloom and the world is ending. Well, the world was ending as soon as Jesus left, okay? It's been ending for 8,000 years, depending. I'm a young earth guy, I like 8,000. So let's say eight to 10,000, depending on who you are, what you are. But the world's been ending since he left. So that's a non sequitur. That's no longer something we can discuss. All we can discuss is what's in front of us today. And by the way, thank you for all the affirmation last week with the elders praying and just like a lot of conversation with you guys. It's been really fun to reteach Ezra. I've actually taught Ezra and Nehemiah many different times, and I've never seen it in some of the clarity that I have this year. And thank you guys for some of the affirmation of what God is also sharing and showing you as well, because part of expository teaching is not just the giving of God's word. But the exposing, by the way, that's what expository means, to expose. You expose the truth so that people can understand, which leads into a whole bunch of other things. Remember last week I told you they had a problem with understanding? Part of being in captivity for 70 years was they didn't use Hebrew. That's going to be a problem for Israel from this starting point on for, to all the way through is because only certain people could read the Pentateuch or the Hebrew scriptures. And so that's a problem for them. They lost their ability to understand that. And you're going to find out in this first revival that they made consideration for that. So with everything that's happening in light of the video and all these other things, let me pray. I need God's encouragement to get through this. We're going to do 8, 1 through 8. I'll break those out, and then we'll do 9 through 12 as a quick lump. And I should be out in like a half an hour, God willing. Father God, I just thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity, first and foremost, just to say that your spirit is so moving in Kentucky right now that a college chapel service could not contain it. 
And for those people that continue to flow back into that building for, I think, 10 or 11 days there are now, and now are talking to other uh, churches, other colleges are opening up their chapels and just beginning um, worship and just worship and prayer. And just simply saying, if, if the Spirit is available, if the Spirit is willing, if people are interested, then so be it. Here's the Lord. Uh, come and worship with us. I thought that was a fabulous little interview from that young guy saying, what's awkward is that something that we're going to be doing forever is difficult here to understand why we can do it for a couple of days. We should be able to worship. We should be able to celebrate. We should be able to give God our all. So just thank you for that movement. Thank you for the rejuvenation in the light of inflation and all these other things that people want to see. Once again, super grateful for my grandson and the Golf Channel. Just It's been a, such a blessing for me to just realize, Father, there's families out there watching golf, and uh, I, I want to be family-based, Father. I want to make the main thing the main thing, and so help me to stay focused on the people in front of me, the mission that you have given us, and the task that we all need, like uh, Israel today, to be excited, uh, literally attentive to God's word. May everything we do and say bring honor and glory to and through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let me read. And yes, I've given in to glasses. I'm so sorry. It happened. All right. And the people gathered as one body. Now, when the people gathered in the square at the water gate, there's a situation that has occurred. And the first thing that occurred was Nehemiah finished the walls. He finished getting the gates completed. He put the scribes and the Levites and the singers in the temple. He got security for the gates, so uh, established a time when the gates were going to be opened and closed. He also got roving security for, you know, patrols on the wall so that everything about the city, the physical structure of the city is now handled. With that in mind, Nehemiah can now turn from construction guy to restoration guy, and now he's going to work on the restoration of the people, okay? The people are all in place. The city's ready to go, and he says, okay, we don't have any other major situation other than the fact that we're ready to gather. He summons all the people together and all the people come. It says that in excess of 100,000. So remember when they first left, 50,000 came, right? With Zerubbabel. 50,000 now is in excess of 100,000. So God has grown the community. He used Ezra's list to place each person back in the areas that they needed to be. So everything about Jerusalem is in order. He calls them all together. He sees this mass gathering of people and then he realized something as he's done with every single situation. I'm, this is not my gifting, okay? I know what I can do. I know what I need to do. And I know that God has called me. And I can see that the people are gathered. But speaking to these people is not my gifting. So who is? Who has God placed in my quiver that I can then draw upon and say, okay, Lord, they're gathered. We're ready to go. Who's my first commission in leadership? This is a fabulous. By the way, if you guys are looking for a leadership book, there's some... Nehemiah is really starting to kill it with some of these leadership decisions because how often do we have the power to make those kind of decisions and simply say, well, I'll just do it. You know, I'll just be that guy too. I'll be this guy and I'll be that guy and I'll wear all the hats and I won't empower people. God is, is oriented, right? And who's available? He looks around and there's Ezra. Well, Ezra isn't just anybody. Ezra's the author of this book. Ezra's the author of Nehemiah and Ezra's the author of Ezra. Ezra's the one who went out the second time, right? Zerubbabel goes out and he rebuilds the temple. That's all he does, right? The temple gets it kind of set up. That's his job. Then Ezra comes out behind him to try to rebuild the people's faith and their hope. He tried to get them going. And at this time now, it's been 13 years of service. And he, it's, it didn't happen for him. But he never left the city and he was available. So now all of a sudden, Nehemiah gathers them together. And in this first meeting at this 
first gate, and wait, wait till it gets into the details of what's actually in this first verse, he calls the person who already has the time in with these people. They remembered who their spiritual leader was. He, he's, Ezra's a prophet and a scribe. So they know who's been kind of sharing the word of God with them. And what does he do? He goes to the Pentateuch. He goes to the first five books. Pentateuch means five. Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. That's their Bible, right? They don't have a Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they have this and they read this and this is what they call for. And not only do they call for it, but as you're going to see, the people call Ezra to bring the book. This is exciting stuff. Let's continue to read, and then I'll go back and really, there's some great stuff in that first verse that I want to break out for you. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both the men and the women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Okay, so we'll get into that again, because you, he says what they can understand. Remember, there's an issue with hearing again. And they read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe, so he's been called both priest and scribe, affirming who he is, stood on a wooden platform. Another interesting church situation. Why do we have platforms? Where did uh, early Christian churches get the idea of building these giant platforms over the congregation? Not their idea. The idea was... They wanted to see him, right? 100,000 people, they wanted to see him, and they wanted to hear him, and they wanted to be attentive about that. So they created this whole platform for him to do it. And then, look, there's a ton of names there of the guys. He basically gets his posse, all of his guys, some of them on his left and some of them on his right. Too early in the morning to read all those names. Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood, Okay? So, I mean, this is like church 101. I mean, I don't know. Last time I went through this, I must have gone fast. I didn't realize how much church history kind of is right here. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a church before, but I've been to churches where when, when you read the word of God, the congregation stands. And you're like, wonder why they do that. I wonder if that's just their thing. Well, it's not a thing. It's a thing that's been done right here from the very beginning. Because they had such a view of God. They had such a view of the word of God, they wouldn't even spell God in their, in their, doc, in their doctrines. They would just spell G and then no O and D, right? Because there's just a value of who God is and what the word was being spoken. So they stood, and then as Ezra the, uh, blessed the Lord, the great God, all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with the faces to the ground. Okay, another a posture of worship. I mean, I'm not breaking it all out in the thing, but just this is so amazing how this passage is just setting up. From the very first response this time around, this time around after 70 years of captivity, remember, 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and they were living good. They didn't care about the walls. They didn't care what was happening in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah's brother comes back and says, dude, dad's tombs, I mean, our father's father's tombs, this is completely shabble. This is not the way they would, our fathers would want this. I know you have a good job here, but something needs to be done about this. They go back and restore it, and now with the restoration process, now with all the people that are in place, now all of a sudden they have Nehemiah and Ezra together, and now all of a sudden God's word is being spoken, and it's being, people are moving powerfully. And then it talks about in verse 7, once again, they, after lifting their hands and bowing their faces, then there's this group of people in verse 7, including the Levites, that do what? Help the people understand the law. And they remained in their places. So helping the people understand the law, once again, a reference to the idea they lost context of Hebrew. So as Ezra's reading the Pentateuch, whatever part of 
Genesis or Exodus, whatever he's reading in Hebrew, there is going to be some language issues. So that group of people there in verse 7, they're all kind of working to be like helping people understand. Um, I can't, this little scene reminds me of the, um, the scene in the Bible where there's people speaking tongues. Uh, by the way, this is a sidebar in tongues, but the idea of a tongue was you spoke German, you spoke French, you spoke Russian, you spoke Czech, you spoke Cantonese, and all of us only spoke English. But in that moment, there was 30 different known dialects in, in the land. And the tongue of fire fell on a believer. And in that moment where the tongue of fire was on the believer, the believer then spoke in a language, not known to God or to the angels, in a language. And then the people in the room said, oh, he's speaking Cantonese. And all the people in the room started to kind of facilitate this. And the point of that tongue was for the edifying of God's word for salvation. So it's a bonus teaching for today because this little side passage in it. Helping people understand is important because if people don't understand, they might do something and not understand what it actually is. That's what it was. It was for believers to speak to non-believers for the edifying of that believer for the sake of salvation. There's no other use of it because in that use, 3,000 people come to the Lord and the church is actually born right there, right? In the book of Acts, you guys know the passage? Same thing here. People have misunderstanding. People are not sure what's going on. They're getting clear, exposing, expository teaching. They're being told three things, okay? How to study the word, how to obey the word, and how to then teach the word. And the results of that should be clear understanding and application. Clear understanding and application. Because verse 8 says this, they read from the book of the law, clearly translating it. They gave the sense so that the people could understand their reading. I'm sorry about this, but I'm going to have to drink a lot. All right, let's go back to verse 1. There is just a ton of this stuff in verse 1. All right, at the verse 1, it starts with the idea that all the people are there. First of all, just 100,000 people to start with. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when it comes to revival and stuff like that, we always think, you know, a lot of people is necessary. But I wonder out of that 100,000 people, who were the first people there that were really like saying, hey, Ezra, get Ezra, get the book, whatever it is. A few people, whatever it is. Something happens usually. I, I probably would be able to track that down with the thing in Kentucky. It's usually the work of one or two people that say, hey, you know, what? let's just stay after and play a few extra songs, right? You don't even know how God's using it. But the reality of it is they have all the people there. And as you read the passage, seven of the eight verses included the phrase, all the people, all the people. When I started Greek referencing and cross-referencing that, it wasn't just that the people were there, John. They were unified and they were there, right? So let's think about that, what that means for a church. Sometimes we're all here, whatever numbers we have and whatever God has given us, that's fabulous. But are we actually unified in what we believe when we're here? Or are we all here with our own understandings and our own beliefs and we hope sometimes that it works out? Because the idea here is not only are they unified in this belief and, and together in this belief, but they're, they're kind of like one body. I love uh, Chuck Colson wrote a book called Be in the Body and just breaking out all the components. What the, and if the hands get too cocky and the eyes just say, I'm done with you, then the eyes just say, fine, I won't see anymore. Right? And the hands said, fine, I won't pick anything up. I mean, at any point of our time, if our body starts telling one of the other components how much more important or significant they are, then the whole fullness of the body loses, right? And yet, here's this beautiful picture that Christ says that he's the head of the church, like we're a body of believers. And in that, we're unified in that. And in this first message where these people are having this first revival, they're all unified. And this original group is now kind of hybrid with the new group, and they're all having one opportunity to do one thing, to be united people. 
I love the fact that they're united because the reality is for most believers today, we're not very united. We're not very united. We have a tendency to kind of be doing ministry on our own and looking how we can kind of be the new and improved thing. I mean, I think even for churches, my, my friend Jeff, who's a pastor, a senior, a senior pastor, he was telling me, you know, they got to have this plan, they got to have this plan, they got to have this plan. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I got to Easter. That's it. I literally have to Easter and I have nothing. I, uh, that's as far as God has given me to see. And from that point on, I'm going to have to trust God. I just don't think there's anything new out there. I keep telling them, I don't think there's anything new out there, Jeff. I'm just going to trust God. And it's been so refreshing to have somebody to kind of banter with because the reality is we're not one person. We're not all unified. And so far, most of the church is all trying to do different things. But these people weren't, and they were hungry for God's word. How hungry were they for God's word? You're going to find out. They ended up sitting out there for about six hours listening to it. So that makes my 36-minute message today pretty lackluster. I should add a couple hours. If I had a couple hours to give you guys, I would. I just I, would, I don't have it today. And another interesting thing, Watergate. Did you catch that? The gate they stood in front of is the Watergate. And you're like, oh, Nixon finally gets in the Bible. And you're like, no, this is not a Watergate. This is, this is a Watergate. So water. Are you guys fascinated by water at all? I worked in the water industry for 10 years. A little more insider information that you don't need to know. But I worked in the water industry for 10 years. Do you know that all the water on the planet Earth, the drinkable water is like less than 6%. And of the 6% that's drinkable, about 3% is frozen. Yet water works perfectly because God has designed a system of how salt water evaporates with the sun, clouds move in, dump their fresh water over the land, the land purifies the water through filtration in streams and rivers, streams and rivers flow back to the ocean, and the cycle begins again. I mean, it's just one of those things. I, my, my education is in Christian education. I love apologetics. I just love the fact that God has given us so many proofs. But the fact that they were standing in front of this water gate for me, I mean, they had 12 gates to stand in front of. And I'm just one of those people that believes that the Bible's never doing anything for no reason. If it does it, it's doing it for a reason. Maybe we haven't caught it yet, but it's for a reason. And then I thought about it. Water is the source of life. I mean, an entire metaphor in the Bible, water is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life, right? Do you realize that this source of life that they had was called the Spring of Gihon, still there, the Spring of Gihon was originally outside of the walls. They were so excited to get the walls back up, and when they built the walls, they realized the only natural spring that fed the entire Jerusalem city was outside of the walls. That's a problem, okay? And one of the first big expansions of the walls was to make sure that that spring was within the walls. They expanded the walls to get, get it out. Then another situation they realized is if the enemy could come and take that spring from them, then the enemy had all the water they want. They could starve out or... Uh, make Israel die of thirst. So Israel had to make a situation to get that spring water inside the city, now, Hezekiah's tunnels. You guys all know about Hezekiah's tunnel. He dug them through the rock, 533 feet from the spring of Gihon, 533 feet at a 12-inch transition, so it has a natural flow to it. And by the way, any of you have, want to go with Jeannie, I'm sure, you can go to Israel, you can do the tour, you can walk down the tunnels. Put your sandals on and walk right down the tunnels. All the way down in the pool, and it ends at called the Pool of Siloam. And the Bible, New Testament, is just cram-packed with stuff at the Pool of Siloam. Why? Because when the Pool of Siloam bubbled or churned, the thought was an angel had stirred the waters, and people would fight to get into it. And because their belief was so high, whoever got in the water first was healed. But all this stuff about water and the water gain and all this stuff, and they're standing right there, just, got, just I started writing all this stuff. Jesus is the spring of life. Water is life-giving. Water is cleansing. And by him we are made new. So just that little nuance I thought was worth throwing it at you too because 
everything that God is doing here with Nehemiah and Ezra is to give this people this encouragement. And what do they ask the people to do? What kind of encouragement comes from that? The people are so fired up that the people ask Nehemiah, say, Ezra, bring, bring our books. Bring the word of God. We're, we're ready for it. Bring it and let's read it. Now, I don't know about you, but it used to be when you came to church, you always had your Bible in your left hand, and you know, people would walk by you and be like, hey, you got your Bible. Here we have Bibles in the backs of the chairs. If you don't have one, we always tell you, feel free to take that. But realistically, let's be honest. Well, I don't have my phone on me. Our Bible today is pretty much our phone, right? The Word of God is alive and breathing. And to have someone stand on this elevated platform above the people and then begin speaking is powerfully, clearly articulative with other people with him that are making sure that the translation is getting out to everybody, starts moving the people, and after a couple hours of this situation, you know, either you're going to be in it and God's moving, or it's just like it starts steamrolling. And I just love this fact that Nehemiah and Ezra are working together because Ezra had done 13 years of groundwork, and Nehemiah had the chance to take that from him. He could have been that guy to do that first one, and then Ezra would have been like, hey, maybe you're the man. Remember back in chapter 5 or 6, someone said, you're going to tell everyone you're going to be king, Nehemiah. He's like, that's not true. I'm not trying to be king. I'm just trying to do what God told me to do. I think it's so cool from a ministry standpoint to see another brother or sister and realize their value and give them that honor. Like, let them have that moment. Because let's be honest, he had done 13 years worth of groundwork. He, he deserved that. He's the one that laid all those seeds. I don't know. It doesn't really happen like that in ministry a lot today. But studying the word, obeying the word, and teaching it, I mean, Ezra was just phenomenal at this. He was a phenomenal teacher. And I really appreciate the fact that 13 years later, God gives him a chance to see the fruit of his labors. That's not the way it goes for all of us, but it was for him. And Ezra did this. He's got everyone together. He said, hey, everyone, besides the fact that I'm speaking, besides the fact that you're fired up, did you realize something about this day? The day itself was special. Now, most of us are not following Jewish holidays. I'm so sorry about the drinking the water nonstop. Do any of you follow the Jewish holidays? Nassim, do you, you know the Jewish holidays? We have a couple, two or three. Oh, you gotta, so if any of you guys know the Jewish holidays, there's basically two sets. Spring festivals, so March and April, Passover, First Fruits, Unleavened Bread. That's kind of get the year going, kind of focus on Easter. And then the fall festivals, the Festival of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah, Atonement, and Tabernacle. Okay? And that happens in September and October, which happens to be the first day of the seventh month. So is it a chance that by the first day of the seventh month they happen to be gathering? Because in that moment that they're gathering was a moment back in Leviticus 23-23, some 1,400 years earlier. And this is what Moses had to say to them. Moses speaking to Israel 1,400 years earlier on the same date. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have rest. Reminded by the blowing of the trumpets as a holy convocation, you shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Now, I'm not doing the second half of the passage today, 13 through 18, the small groups. You guys can take that home and work on that. But that festival, the festival of trumpets, had been lost. Part of being in captivity that whole time was they let some of their ways go. That would be a problem for us because we basically, in the Protestant church, we only have two ways. We only have two ordinances. We have baptism and we have communion. Those are the two things that God has left us that we need to make sure that we continually do. Matter of fact, when we do it, it used to say when you do communion, do this until I return, right? So those are, those are really important for us. 
But they had these series of festivals, so it basically gave them a chance to get started at the beginning of the year. And if they weren't kind of in the right place, when the fall festivals kicked in, it was a real internal look at yourself to say, hey, who are we and what are we supposed to be doing? And on that very day, once again, God calls them all. And they remembered their past and they said, hey, this is something God has been doing with our people. 14, that, that Ezra passage, um, Leviticus passage, 1,400 years before them with Moses. I wish we had history, like California history is like, our church is 70 years old, right? And we're like, hey, we're so old, 70 years, you know? And I read the Bible and they have, the, they have such amazing history, like legacy. They build on top of the piles of the people who are in front of them, you know? And so they could go there and dig stuff up and see stuff. It's like, we don't have a lot of legacy. I'm really grateful the church has been here since 48. But these kind of things, when I see this, I mean, whether or not you had forgotten who you are, you would remember this. I think September 9-11 will be one of those days for a lot of us. Like, it will, there will be things in our life when people say, well, hopefully trigger some things, and hopefully we'll remember some things, and hopefully that motivation from that is an opportunity to be, um, this is basically ready for revival, just to remember who they are. And then verse 3, verse 3 talks about the idea was they were so fired up that he was able to read from early in the morning to the middle of the day. So their time clock is 6 a.m., to 6 p.m. That's the Jewish time clock. So early in the morning would be 6 in the morning to midday would be 12. So that's a good, nice, smooth six-hour session of reading. So keep that in mind. No matter how long we go on a Sunday, uh, there's always room for improvement. And the idea would simply be that if we were so hungry for God's word that when I was done teaching in 30 or 40 minutes, you'd just be like, no, more. And I'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's just go back on it. We'll just keep going. We'll just keep teaching out of God's word. That's what it was like here. They were just, they were hungry. Um, uh, who's that? Elijah said this, the word of God is like honey. You know, I just, I think of these weird metaphors sometimes that God's would like, do you hunger for God's word? I mean, is that, is that another good leadership thing? Because if you want to get people going in the right direction, you're praying. I mean, Nehemiah is a great prayer warrior, but, you know, get them going in the right direction. Get them hungry for God's word. That's how he teaches us. So 13 years worth of work finally fulfilled by Nehemiah passing the baton and letting Ezra slide over uh, verse 4 just said, they talked about, I told you they made him a stand. All the key people were there. The idea for leadership was to be all together, and the idea of the pulpit was so that all could hear. Um, I know today we have media, we have television, we have internet, we have all these different things so people can hear. And I'm wondering, is even though all these people are hearing, I mean, some of the times Mark gives me the actual data stream, like how many people listen to this small little message from this little east side church in Costa Mesa, how many people actually catch this message as it goes out? And it's, it's silly. It's, ask Mark. I mean, sometimes you look at the numbers, you're like 100 here, 700 here, 400 here, 300 here, whatever it is. It's like, well, even with all that, what, what's going on? When you hear God's word, is it really motivating life change? Remember, the whole point of expository teaching is not just to share God's word. The goal of church or a Sunday message is not just to share God's word. It's to expose the truth so that you can then hear and understand those truths so that you can then apply them. And by the way, that's probably the most difficult thing to do as a senior pastor or just as a presenting God's word every week is the idea for me is I listen on Monday. Sometimes I listen to other pastors. I watch other sermons, and then I have an audio book, and it just, just reads me the message. I listen so that I can kind of take it all in, and then I sit with it, and then I try to find what in the message was speaking to me, and I literally just sit with it. That's my supplication time. Sit with it or drive around the neighborhood. Sometimes I can't. The office sitting in the chair doesn't work. And I just sit with it, and I let God's word speak to me. And through that examination, through that self-reflection, I then begin to write on Tuesday, this is what the Lord exposed in that. This is what the Lord sh shared with me. 
And hopefully by the time it gets to you on Sunday, it's been four or five days of kind of back and forth with the Lord wrestling with that point to get it out here. So you can hear something from God's word clearly and articulately every week. I don't have a bunch of guys on my left and right like, uh, like Ezra did, right? I'm only working with uh, Bill and uh, Rod and then all the commentaries and stuff that I have. But my goal every week, and if you're ever confused about something that we teach in here, if any time you hear something and it doesn't make perfect sense, pastor at Lighthouse or just come up to me afterwards, I'm more than glad to sit with you and walk through and make sure that we actually understand, right? It's just like anything in God's word can be misunderstood and then taught incorrectly. So let's make sure we understand God's word. It is our source of strength. It is our encouragement. And it's definitely the source of revival. So we want to make sure that we're praying, trusting God's word, and uh, everyone was involved. So that was how four ended. All the people were there. All the people stood. All the people had buy-in. And then verse 6, Ezra blessed the people, and the people responded. They raised their hands, and they said, amen. So that's another word that people think sometimes is kind of churchy. Like, why do we say amen? Because why? <laughs> yeah, well, amen means we agree, like, right? Amen, amen. It's like we're in agreement together, right? It's, a, it's an affirmation that what you say, we agree, right? So, so my growing up Southern Baptist, I mean, like sometimes the pastor would get so frustrated when he's preaching something, he would say something that was super significant. He'd go, amen, amen. You, you see Bill do this, amen. We're like, we're not, why are we not amen in that? I mean, it's like, it's that I want to know that you hear that word. That you're hearing that word, that encouragement, right? Amen. So they're affirming him and they're, and they're bowing down and they're pronate before the Lord. Um, now, I'm not a pronate person. I traditionally wouldn't pronate maybe in a public setting. But I can guarantee you this, the day you get to meet the Lord, right? Let's all leave our earthly body for five seconds and go spiritual here. The day you meet the Lord, the holiest, omnipotent, all-powerful being, and he has that moment to look at you, and you're waiting for Jesus to intercede, right? We're, we believe that Jesus will be our advocate so that we're not meeting the Lord on our own volition, standing in our own whatever, right? Pronate would probably be the... The first thing I do, I would probably literally come into God diving. I'm just saying that. The last thing I would want to do is stand in front of a holy God thinking I have anything going for me. I'm serious. I mean, anything at all going for me. I, want, I, would, I would be concrete deep in the gold street, just pronate going, there's no way I'm worthy to stand in front of you. And then hope that when I finally did look up that Jesus was there saying, come on, man, Romans 8, you're good. We got this. We're going we're, we're to work this out together. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, Right? But the idea here is that even when it was just worship, even when it was revival, they were able to both worship God with a freedom. Okay, if you're a hand lifter, I'm not, everyone's not a hand lifter. Some fabulous videos out there if you guys want to see on YouTube about churches with hand lifting one arm versus the two arm versus the finger point versus the field goal. There's like seven different ways to actually worship. And so someone's made a nice little video if you need that help to understand what's, I just go with what's in my heart. A lot of times for me, it's just sitting like, I, I just sit and I just, I just bend my knees and I was like, ugh, Lord, seriously. You know, it's like in my mind, it's like I'm talking to him all day long anyways, but it's like, Lord, seriously, why are you so good? Why am I so, why is this such a struggle? Why is there, why is there somebody constantly trying to pull us off the wall? Constantly trying to pull us off the wall. I'm trying to do a great task here. I'm trying to do a great thing here, Lord. Why? And then he explains it in verse 7. Because once they understood the instruction, once they understood that all the frustration that you had been through, Israel, captivity for 70 years, your city walls are all torn down, your enemies keep coming in and stomping you to the ground, everything that you've been through is all going to be restored in this one moment. And I think that's so cool because the verse, I want to read that again and see. 
Four and seven in there. going to come up in nine. Then Nehemiah and the governor of Ezra, the priest and the scribe, the Levites who taught the people, all said to the people, this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Do not mourn. Do not weep. For the people were weeping when they heard the words of God. Remember earlier I told you I was going to give you a fact about a true revival? That's fact number one about a true revival. True revival must lead to repentance. A true revival must open up the fact that we are sinning, that we're living kind of in our own little worlds, doing our own little things, and we're asking God to come join us, okay? So the first component is that they were weeping, they heard God's word, and they were trying to respond. But then Ezra has something he says to them in verse 10. Go to the festival, eat and drink, eat the sweet drinks, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord, but do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, I, and the Greek word there is refuge. And that's such a really powerful statement now. It's like all the stuff that you've been through, everything that you've gone through is all for one reason. So that when you get to this moment now where you're actually kind of wide open, worshiping the Lord with all you have, with your hands, with your head, with your heart, with your words, with your, with your song, with everything that you have, now you can realize something. That's where your true strength comes from. And the word refuge there is like, it's like our safe place, our hiding place. And I, I, don't, I think I talked to a couple of people this week. Life seems to be like storms, right? Like, like, like a lot of vacillation, highs and lows or whatever. And then this is what God's word has always been to me. It's like, it's, it's, the, it's the peace in the storm. And the only way that is, is like these anchoring points to God's word and to experiences that we've gone through with God. It's like, but I'm hold fast in the rock. So even though life is kind of going up and down, the one thing that holds me through all that is my anchoring to the Lord. And then I realize it's not just the anchoring to the Lord, but it's the actual joy of the Lord. That's where my strength is actually coming from. My ability to finish today has nothing to do with my own ability. My ability to finish today and speak today is because I truly believe that my joy comes from the Lord. And so if you give him everything that you have and what you have equals zero, you're still in good company, right? Because you plus the Lord equals everything. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your resources. He needs you. He's interested in a relationship with you. I told you about the guy I met golfing. I went over to Costa Mesa and played like five or six holes after work one day. I thought I would relax. And sure enough, I picked up the one single guy who says, anyone who goes to church on Sunday is not a believer. And he's grown up with this, you know, if you have to go to church on Saturday, otherwise you're not a believer. And he just was adamant about it and started literally accosting me. I mean, I'm just trying to play golf, bro. I'm just trying to hit a ball. I'm trying to have a pastor. I deal with this all day long. I don't even know you. You're not even one of my sheep. But okay, I get it. You, you win. Saturday's the right day, and I'm wrong. Because I'm not, I just basically said, I'm not involved with religion. It sounds to me like you love religion. Like, I'm not involved with religion. I'm in a relationship. I'm in a living, breathing relationship with the King of Kings. And because of that, whether I go to church on Saturday or Sunday, I work at the church for God's sake. I'm here Monday through Sunday anyways. Give me some credit for that, dude. I'm, I'm at the church every single day. Well, every single day I'm trying to live for him. Every single day I'm trying to go out there to, to make the joy of the Lord my strength. So do not be grieved, he says. And then fine, don't be grieved. Matter of fact, don't be grieved and then give something to someone else around you. There's a little side verse in there. Did you catch that? Uh, it said, go to the festival and then send portions to him who has nothing prepared. So it's not just that we're supposed to get over ourselves and realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're supposed to get over ourselves, dust the dust off, and realize, all right, go back to serving. Whenever you're struggling, whenever your ministry kind of hits that wall, whenever you reach that place where you're like, Pastor Jeff, my relationship has hit the wall. Whenever, 
I guarantee you the one thing that will struggle the most is your serving. The first thing that will be removed when you hit the wall is serving. Because the last thing you want to do is help anyone else when the people you love aren't helping you. And I know that sounds terrible, but I always tell people this. If you want to get out of a rut and you want to get out of a hole, the first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning is say, who can I serve? And then go serve recklessly. Go serve wildly. Go serve like there's no tomorrow. Go to Goodwill and donate hours. Call Bill at FBM and pack food boxes. Get a hold of Jackie. You can do that. Do anything you can. Come to the church and pray for the building for 20 minutes. Walk around the building and pray. Just begin serving. The idea here is stop grieving. Stop doing all that. I get that the Word of God is speaking to you. Take what the Word of God is saying to you. Now hold fast to that. But that's now your strength. Okay? Your conviction of sin is now your strength. Hold fast in that. That's your refuge. Now go serve other people. Go, go care about other people. And here they were gathered. They weren't gathered as 12 tribes. Like he didn't say, and the, and the Manea was here, and the Judah was here. And the, you know, it wasn't the separation of the 12 tribes. It was one people. It says they were gathered as one people, one body. And the results of that whole thing was actually in verse 12, as it actually ended, it said, then all the people went away to eat, drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great feast because they understood the words which had been made known to them. So two concepts in that. Great feast, what does that sound like? Yeah, remember he said in chapter 6 when he was working on the wall, it was a great task, right? I mean, this, this is a beautiful thing. I mean, the Word of God is one of those things where if you haven't noticed the Word of God like, and get a chance to study book studies, that's why I love book studies, to see that common thread running through it, there's like a sense of peace. Like, you just have this affirmation that whoever wrote this, however they wrote this, I'm sure was speaking one thing to them, but the, the truth of it is it's still speaking to us. Like, that speaks to me. It's like, I'm not doing a good work, right? Mary and Martha, I'm not doing a good work. My goal is not to do a good work. A lot of things that we could do today will be good works, I want to do a great work because I only have time to do a great work. You see what I'm saying? I mean, time, time is so limited that if I get caught up in all the other things I could be doing, then I want to go do all those visitations. I don't want Bill to do all that. I want to do all that. That's my favorite thing in the whole world is visitation and assimilation. But I have to realize something, just like Nehemiah t- teaches me. There's people that are part of the team. There's te- people that are in line. They need the baton passed to them. And they say, hey, I need you to run with this. Get all these people together. And he said he called like 11 or 12. 11 of the 12 people or whatever, and they're all fired up. It's like, people need ownership, and we're going to try to pass you the baton, and we're going to try to let you go visit with some people, and we have some elders that are going to go do communion with some people that are shut in, and we're going to start getting a little bit better ownership for the ministry that God has placed in front of us, and I guarantee you something's going to happen. That revival that's happening in Kentucky, somewhere in this church it's going to wake up. Somewhere in one of you it's going to wake up, and you're going to stop seeing your neighbors as being adversarial and realize that driving in and closing your garage doors without talking to your neighbors wasn't a victory. It was a a total loss. And you need to slow your roll down and start parking out in front if you have to because you need to engage those neighbors. Because if you allow a neighbor to die and go to hell while you live your life, whatever prospect you live your life in, with the, okay, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you go to the newspaper today and say, Channel 5, come on out to my thing. I got something to say. I have the cure for cancer. And I'd say, well, that's great, but cancer, they're still going to die. You have something better than the cure for cancer. Jesus is better than the cure for cancer because if you give them Jesus, they have eternity in their side. Cancer can come and go, and cancer will already take many people that we love, right? But Jesus will never come and go. He says, I will never leave or forsake you. This first revival is good for us. It's good for me to just kind of hear this because the reality is 
the, the final teaching part of this is that the people heard and they understood the words. Church, if we can't understand what God is actually calling us to, if it, that's a responsibility that's on us, the pastors, the elders. It's on me. And so I hold speaking to you on Sunday very high. And I hold the time and energy that I put into this very high because if you don't understand God's word, I don't want you to just hear God's word. You don't, you don't get to check your box because you heard God's word today. Because that's what a lot of people have done with church online. They hear God's word and they say, well, I've done my church. That's not church. This is church. We do life on life. We meet in our small groups. We invite our neighbors in. We see salvation. We stir those waters. We share testimonies. And you've got to hear God's word and understand it to then do that same reflection that I'm. I'm asking you to do the same thing with the word of God that's taught here every week. Take it home and reflect it yourself. Do you, are you hungry for God's word? If you love God's word, then every day that you have a little bit of free time, to give the TV as many hours as you give it, I don't understand that. What is the TV ever going to do for you? Uh, my TV gives me golf, so I've got that, right? But I mean, what does your TV give you? Five more shootings? Oh my God, I was on for like two minutes. It was on another shooting, another stabbing, another this and that. I'm like, what parent wants to let their kid go to school anymore? What person wants to be involved with that world anymore? I mean, I've got to have this joy of the Lord as my strength. I've got to have this refuge, this rock that I can fall on. And so I want to encourage you today. Love the word of God. Be able to receive your revoking from God's word. If God's word re rebukes you, remember, biblical rebuke is rebuke, reprove, and then draw close. That's from 2 Timothy 2. Rebuke, cut it away. Acknowledge it. Hey, I heard you cussing, and you know, you got to pick another word other than God because that's a problem for me, and I love you, and I want to just make it make you aware, man, your, your words matter, okay? Rebuke, that's the biblical accounting for what it is that's wrong, not your personal opinion on something. You're not, can, you can't rebuke somebody with something that's your personal opinion. You rebuke with God's word. It needs to be in God's word, and then you say, hey, could you do something different? Like, choose your name next time you get mad. Oh, stupid John, perfect. Call yourself, you know, that sounds great, and then remind him, hey, I love you. Can we pray about this? Because iron sharpens iron, right? If you want to be glass, and I'm iron, is going to be a problem. People often say, Pastor Jeff, you know, sometimes I'm harsh. I think I am. I think I'm a little too black and white. But the reality is, is iron can only sharpen iron. If you decide to get all balsa woody on me, I don't know what to tell you. When I start bringing the word of God to you, you're going to be like, hey, you just lopped off my arm. Hey, you just cut off this. Hey, that's between you and the Lord. I mean, we got to hold fast. And only iron can hold iron. And I'd rather have the wounds from a brother telling me, hey, look, you got you got to stop making excuses. If God's not a priority in your life and you want to do whatever you want, then you're free to go do that. But don't call me. Don't call me and say, hey, can you pray for me? What do you want me to pray about? Uh, man, things aren't going my way. Huh. Imagine that. Really. When's the last time you went to church? When's the last time you served? When's the last time you tithed? When's the last time you did anything for God? Well, I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Oh, because that's what God wants. He wants the best he can with what you got. I said, that's not what we're called to, you know. Make him a priority and then struggle. Because then the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Amen. Different way of seeing it, right? Remember I asked you a couple weeks ago, stop looking at your obstacles and oppositions as trials and start reconsidering them, the blessing that what you're doing is so significant for the kingdom of God that the evil one's trying to challenge you about that. I was just playing golf. I'm just trying to get some exercise, keep my body going in the right direction and bending over and picking up a ball may not seem like much, but for me at this particular stage of my life, I need that. I did not need someone telling me you're a hypocrite. I mean, he's yelling at me, in, like, mock 10. You're a hypocrite. I would never go to your church. What an embarrassment that you call your... And meanwhile, he hits the ball, and he hits it open, and he goes, son of a mother, it's beep, beep, beep. And I'm like, 
Okay, so we have two examples being shared here today. The, uh, I'm sorry I don't go to church on Saturday, and uh, feel free to use whatever vernacular comes forward as you place 13 balls out of bounds. Then I hit a ball, and I almost hit it in the hole, which, you know, that's kind of courtesy. Hey, congratulations, you almost got a hole in one. You're like, <laughs> you know what, dude, it's okay. Because you know what? My God's bigger than this. And I realize the only thing that I have to offer you is love and kindness and words of affirmation, but I'm not in a religion. I hope you hadn't thought about that in a while. You're not in a religion. You're in a relationship. So reconsider your talking to the Lord as you would a relationship. Any relationship you're in that you talk to a lot, the closer you will be. Simple. Simple math, right? I talk to the Lord all day long. I'm, I'm very close to him. And I guarantee you that when the revival does come and the right speaker's speaking, you're going to be hungry for God's word. And you may feel cut quick to like, oh, man, I need to repent and mourn. But just let it go and say, you know what? Thank you, Lord, for that clarity about who I am and what I need to do. I'm going to invite my neighbor to church next week. How long has it been since you've invited your neighbors to church? Okay, we, we got to go back. The church doesn't need to reinvent new programs we can do and add more jump houses and, you know, 72 more balloon things and 20 more banners. On. We don't need any of that. What we need is right here. We just need, we need to own our faith again. They needed to own their faith again. And when they did, they were reminded 1,400 years of legacy faith they had. We have legacy faith too. You have legacy faith. Fall back on your faith. Hold fast. That's a beautiful concept of the word of God. Hold fast. Stop fighting with your hands and with your words and launch some prayers because that's when the real work gets done. And let's get back to doing ministry the way that God intended it. I'm going to ask the worship team up here. Thank God that I made it through. And uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Father God. I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you want more. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys letting me get through it. Um, sorry about the water drinking, but that's what I had. Father God, I just thank you first and foremost for being a good, good father who not only loves his children, but loves us really well. You know, if you being earthly fathers give good gifts, if, if you being earthly grandparents give good gifts to your grandchildren, how much more does your father in heaven give to you? Father, I just love when the word comes alive and that I see application in the midst of the debris field that is our lives that's my life father this week there was a lot of rough phone calls there was a lot of different people going through mental health and the struggle and cancer and elderly parents and just um it's a monumental task out there to try to walk with to walk in peace today father i just pray that you would remind the believers that our joy is in that our joy is in the struggle and our joy is the strength of the Lord. It's not the strength that we feel. It's okay to say, I'm tapped. I don't have any strength. I don't even know why I'm doing this anymore because I, don't, I feel like I have nothing. That's an honest place to be. Now make peace with it and then go serve somebody because God still has work to do. Father, on behalf of every relationship in this building, every marriage, every parent, every child relationship, whatever it is, Father, I pray that today that you would continue to bring the clarity and comfort that comes from the Word of God and the Word of God alone, that we would understand it clearly, that we would listen to it, that we would obey it, and then we ourselves would then go teach it to others with the same kind of dignity and respect that Ezra and Nehemiah put in it so that they could see that even today, Father, our hope one day is that Israel will be restored. Father, my hope one day is that when you do restore Israel, the same stubbornness and the same tenacity that, that they've had to say no for all these years will be amazing, Father, when they turn to you and say yes. If there's anyone in this building today who doesn't know, Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, that he put his life willingly on that cross. And I pray that today, even through the TV, Father, that you would reach out to them and have them reach out to someone and say, I, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. 
There's nothing special about it. There's no magical prayer. It's just a simple confession between you and someone who stands at your doors and knock and says, behold, I'm there, but you gotta let me in. Open the door to him and begin a new life. Father, we do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Good sermon. Hey, I'd like everybody, if, if you're able, stand. And we're going to do something a little different. We'll only do one song. But uh, this song was brought to me about a week ago. I think, Cash, you brought it to me. And, um, boy, the words just really rang out to me. And so I want to start this off. Just like everybody to close their eyes. And I'll cue you in. And we're just going to sing the words, pour your spirit out. And let's just really try to call the spirit down on us. Like Jeff said, it's so much relationship. It's just relationship, relationship. Let's create that.
Thank you, Jesus. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you next week.